Turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. And I suppose you might say we're having a series of messages in this chapter because I believe this is the same chapter that was used the other night in the service. And it's a great, great chapter. I want you to look at 1 John 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. The well of truth in that passage of Scripture never runs dry. The well of truth never runs dry. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let me give you another translation of that last phrase. But he that doeth the will of God abideth from eon to eon. Amen. Still another translation. But he that doeth the will of God abideth into the ages. When Abraham Lincoln died, Mr. Stewart stood there and said, Now he belongs to the ages. And truer words couldn't have been said. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth from eon to eon. He that doeth the will of God abideth from age to age and into the ages. And so for tonight, for a few moments, I'd like for us to think of that theme. He that doeth the will of God. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I ask you? On another occasion, his mother and his brothers and his sister were outside, and they were sort of critical of him. And they came to the Lord and said, your mother and your brother and your sisters are outside, and they want to talk to you. They were really trying to get rid of him. And Jesus said, Who is my mother and my brother and my sister, but he that doeth the will of God? God has a blueprint for everybody's life. The greatest thing in the world we can do is find that blueprint and fit our lives into it. Sometimes we try to build a building with no blueprint. We've had experience with that around here in past years, but more recently we've used blueprints. And in using a blueprint, you know where the water lines go and where the electrical lines go. You know where the posts go. If any of you have wondered about those posts in our old buildings, they're there because we didn't use a blueprint. We just propped the building up, didn't we, Brother Lee? And we didn't use a blueprint. And some people's lives are like that. They don't use a blueprint. They just take off and do whatever comes naturally and they have to get propped up here and propped up there. They never accomplish the thing that God wanted them to do. But I want to tell you, God has a wonderful plan for your life. For every life in this room. And that plan is not the same for every person. God has a perfect will. God has a permissive will. The perfect will is like a straight line running 
from the point of conversion to the consummation when we're with Christ. And when you first give your life to Jesus Christ, if you'll get in the will of God and seek His perfect plan and will for your life, you'll take off like a jet airplane and you'll go up and up and up and up and up and up and you won't have any of those nose dives. You just go on. Now very frankly, most of us don't do that. Most of us go for a while and then we take a nosedive and we get out of the will of God. But because we're God's child and there's a hankering inside of us to get back to God and back to the heart of God and back to the blueprint for Him, we get to a place where we've heard the Word, we've read the Word, some experience God speaks to us through some person, God speaks to us some through some circumstance, and we come to a point in life where we say, I want to get back to God. So we make a beeline for the cross. There's so much mercy at the cross. Man. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And let him ask in faith. You see, Jesus doesn't scold you or bawl you out when you come back to him. We human beings do that. How many times have you said or heard somebody say, I told you so. Told you to be like that. Our Lord doesn't do that. When we get down out of the will of God, get our lives messed up. He stoops down and helps us pick up the broken pieces. And if we look up, we can hear again and again that wonderful scripture. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us Amen. and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can again walk with the King. That happened in the life of David. David loved God. He started out well. He wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What time I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thy heart. David wrote all that. And then in a time when he wasn't out doing what God wanted him to do, his life all got messed up. He had to tell some lies to cover it up. Had to kill a man to cover it up. Had to endure the, endure, endure the humility of Nathan coming and saying, Thou art the man. But to show you the kind of man David was, he could have been proud. He could have been stubborn. He could have said, It's none of your business what I've done. I've met people like that. He could have said, well, I'm just doing the best I can. I'm just human. But you know what David did? That wonderful 51st chapter of Psalm tells us, he got down before God and he said, O Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Then will I teach transgressors thy way and sinners shall be converted unto thee. The little boy died. 
for God to use David again. Amen. God allowed David to walk in the permissive will of God. The perfect will of God is when you get saved and you get in that jet airplane and you start going for God and you just go right on serving Him. You read His Word and you pray and you go to His house and you don't allow all these things to get you sidetracked and you just get your eyes on glory and go on the way. And I've known some people who've done that and I thank God. But lots of folks get their eyes off of Christ and they get into His permissive will. If I had a rope tonight, I would show you a demonstration of the permissive will. The straight will is God's perfect will, a straight line. The permissive will goes something like that. And it may lead you through some tragedies. It may lead you through some tough times. It may lead you through some difficulties. I think I thought of this theme today because I was meditating on the life of Mr. Moody. I love him very much. He had a great impact on my life. I never saw him. I've read almost everything he ever wrote in sermon form. I've read almost every biography I can lay my hands on about Mr. Moody. And I've discovered this about him. He wanted more than anything else to follow the will of God. And to do the will of God. And when he got saved at 17 years old, he did the will of God he thought was right then. I told some group today, maybe it was Sunday school, that when Mr. Moody got saved, maybe it was, uh, no, it was in chapel the other day. I told him when Mr. Moody got saved, he knew that he ought to make a confession of faith and be baptized. So he went to the church, and in that church he had to meet with the elders and give a testimony to the elders that would satisfy them so that they'd know that they'd think, well, you knew what you were doing. And so they, Mr. Moody went with him. He was 17 years old, and he went before them. There were here were 10 or 12 men. And, and uh, so they said, now, Mr. Moody, you stand up there and tell us what Jesus has done for you. Well, his knees were knocking, and he was scared to death, and he got up, and he said, well, uh, folks, I, I can't think of anything in particular, and he's done everything in general for me. Sit <laughs> down, Mr. Moody. You're not saved. It was like a stab in his heart because he knew Jesus. How many of you, the day you got saved, could get up and give a testimony of what Christ meant to you? I think I would have fainted and fallen through the floor if they'd asked me to do that. But Mr. Moody knew the Lord. He started serving the Lord. He dug into the Bible. He read the Word. Pretty soon he went over to Chicago to make a million dollars and God said, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to win a million souls. It was during the Civil War. After he'd built the largest Sunday school in Chicago, the war was on and he went out in, the, in Illinois, in Indiana, and went out to the battlefields and ducked the ammunition and went out and talked to Union soldiers and Confederate soldiers that were dying and won many of them to Jesus. Amen. He went through every door that opened. There wasn't a door of service that he was too proud to go through. And let me say, if we're going to walk in the will of God, pride 
has no place. We can't be filled with pride and do the will of God, walk in the will of God. It is a sidetrack. It is a sideline. And when we try to walk in the will of God and we get puffed up and we get filled with pride and we think, well, all that I have to offer is not being used enough, God can't use us at all. And so Mr. Moody went through every door that opened. Out there on the battlefield, he, he took messages back home. A soldier boy was dying. He went won him to Jesus and then he went back and he tried to find where that boy's home was. He took a message to mother or daddy from the battlefield. The last word your son said was this. That's a lowly thing. That's a little thing. He wasn't trying to be a hero. He just did it because he felt like that's what God wanted him to do at the time. He went back to Chicago and he uh, had this job making a million dollars and he was a good, good shoe salesman. But one day he just quit his job. They said, Mr. Moody, what are you going to do? To, what are you going to live on? Oh, he said, God will take care of me. God told me to quit. I'm going to win a million souls to Christ. And he had changed, uh, he had a changed desire, motivation, ambition. Where did he get it? From doing the will of God. Amen. How are you going to find God's will? Get in the will that you know right now. Do your very, 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 very best and refuse to be filled with pride and go through every door that opens and God will open another door. And then God will open another door. And then God will open another door. He quit his job, didn't have any money. He said, Lord, you're going to have to take care of me. And he got married about the same time. I want to inform you that D.O. Moody never did suffer for money. He probably raised more money for Jesus in his ministry than anybody had up to that time. And he got at the task of winning a million people to Christ. But right in the middle of it, he was at the Illinois Street Church. The church burned down in October of 1837. And they said, the officers got together and said, Mr. Moody, why don't you go to New York and you know people. People are beginning to know you. Why don't you try to get us some money? <coughs> he went to New York to try to get some money to rebuild that church. And his testimony was, Lord, I don't want the money. I want the power of God. I'd rather have the power of God than anything. And so he's walking along Wall Street. You know that's the place where all the barons are. And the rich folks. And he thought he could get some money there. And, and, but he said, Lord, my heart isn't in this begging. I want the power of God on my life. And right out of the middle of Wall Street, you can see it. I've, I've seen the place a number of times. Standing in the Empire State Building, you can look right down and see it. Standing in the middle of the street... The power of God came on his life. And he went over to a friend's house on Wall Street and he said, could I have your room just for the afternoon? Could I go into your house, into your bedroom? Let me be alone with God. He got alone with God. He never told what happened in that meeting. Except he 
sold out totally to Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, God took care of the money and God took care of all the other things because he was in the will of God. Folks, I'd rather be in the will of God than to be any place on this earth. Amen. The will of God is different for different people. It is not the same for everybody. Everybody would not fit his life into the life of Moody. Everybody would not be, fit his life into the life of Billy Graham. Everybody would not fit his life into the life of Adrian Rogers or, or W.A. Criswell or any of the other great men of God that have lived or ever have lived or will live or live today. But God does have a purpose and a plan and a will for your life. Have you found it? Have you sought it? Have you asked God to show it to you? Now God does not always open his future doors all at once and say, hey look, there's what I want you to be. You set your mind for it and that'll be it. The will of God changes. No, wait a minute. I said it wrong. As seen from heaven, the will of God never changes, but as seen from our own heart, the will of God does change. We might go this way for a while and we say, I'm walking in the will of God, this is what God wants me to do. And then God opens a door and He says, I want you to go here. I want you to go here. I want you to go here. And finally we stand over on heaven's shore and we look back and we say, Jesus led me all the way and He made not one mistake. Amen. And I found that I got in the will of God. Not because one day it opened to me, you're to be a Florence Nightingale. You're to be a Bev Shea. You're to be a great businessman. But little by little by little by little, I walk in His way. Now the will of God begins with salvation. Nobody is in the will of God until he gets saved. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you're not in the will of God. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so first of all, that begins in my heart. I have to be sure and know for sure that I'm God's child, that I'm on my way to heaven, that I'm saved. God is living in my life. I need to know that. I don't need to guess at it. I don't need to say I think so or maybe so, but I need to know it. Amen. How do you know? This is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that has the Son has life. Amen. He that has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen. It's not presumption. It's not pride that leads people to get up all over this auditorium and say, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We have to know we're saved. Secondly, to walk in the will of God, we'll have a concern about other people. Because it is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We'll have a concern, a burden in our heart. What is the eternal destiny of somebody else? Now listen. Please listen and pray for me as I try to preach to you tonight. I preach to myself and to you. The main business God gave His church. What is it? The one big thing. He said, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Now, while we're doing it, we need to do some things. We need to play the piano. 
But that isn't the Great Commission. We need to run the PA system. That isn't the Great Commission. We need to play the organ. That isn't the Great Commission. We need to put pretty carpet on the floor. But that isn't the Great Commission. There's nothing wrong with playing basketball. But that isn't the Great Commission. The one big thing God gave His church to do is to go and tell. And whenever we get sidetracked and we think, well, I should do this instead of this, we're off sides and we're out of the will of God. The one big thing that all of us need to be involved in is a burden and a concern for souls, whoever they are, wherever they are. That's God's big, big business. And when we find in our hearts, and I have to fight this all the time, in myself, it is a continual battle to hold missions up to our church, to hold soul winning up to our church, for me personally to go soul winning, for me to go and talk to people and say, would you go with me to go and visit someone and urge them to come to Christ? It's a lot easier to leave you alone. <laughs> Do you know that? It's just twiddly-dee and twiddly-dum to say, do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. If you don't want to go, don't go. I'll go. But that isn't what God wants the preacher to do. He wants him to be an equipper. He wants to badger you. You say, whoops, hold everything. You don't mean you want the preacher to badger you. Yes, I'm sorry. God wants the preacher to badger you until you sense in your soul what is God's main business for you. And you know what you do sometimes? You get mad at him. You get mad at him. Because he's doing what God told him to do. And you get mad at him. You're not mad at the preacher. You're mad at God. Just mark that down in your mind. Because God's big business is to keep the church centered on souls. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's big business. And I will tell you, it isn't easy. It isn't easy. You know, I could take all the hours of my day cleaning rooms out in this building. Because I can't stand dirt and filth and junk and stuff. I could take two or three weeks to clean my office. <laughs> but I want to ask you, is that what God wants me to do with my time? Sit in there and shuffle papers and put these papers in this stack and these papers in this stack, put this box here and put this box. Uh, I do that once in a while. I have to. But that isn't what God wants me to do. He wants me to be out there where the people are. Amen. And God wants us to lead His people to do that. You want to walk in the will of God? First, be sure you're saved. Second, be sure that you have that burden in your heart for souls. I don't know of any better way to find what Jesus wants you to do than to get in the business of soul winning. Amen. You start knocking on some doors and God will be whispering to your heart. Now, I want to guarantee you can sit beside a typewriter, and I'm not just decrying that. Thank God we have some secretaries that sit at the typewriter. But if that's all they do all the time, they sit there and type and type and type and type, they'll lose their burden for souls if they don't go out soul winning. If all you do is get up here and lead the choir, lead the choir, lead the choir, you'll use, lose your burden for souls. If you just play the piano or do this instrument over here or do that instrument over there, if that's all you do, you'll lose your burden for souls. And I'm just declaring what is on my heart tonight about the will of God. Oh, I want God's people to walk in the will of God. Amen. I want to be sure I'm walking in His will and I want you to walk in His will. Sometimes people get the idea, well, 
there are some people gifted to do this and gifted to do this and gifted to do this. That's not true. I, I know we have gifts. Soul winning is not a gift. Soul winning is a responsibility. Never was a gift. There's nobody gifted in soul winning. It's hard. It's just plain hard, hard work every time you go at it. And that's the reason most of you don't do it. It's hard. You find what's well, easier to take care of this and take care of this and take care of this. Sure it is. Do you know what's easier for me? To get down here with a, a, uh, one of these vacuum cleaners and vacuum this floor. It's easier to do that than to go soul winning. A lot easier. It's easier for me to go out to the Royal Ranch and cut grass, and I like to do it. No burden to me. People say, preacher, you ought not to cut the grass. Well, that's a physical relaxation to me. It's much easier to do that than to go soul winning. I've worked in stores. It is much easier to work in the public work than to go soul winning. Even though you have to be around all the cursing and swearing and so on, it's still easier work. But you go soul winning, see, the devil will fight you every minute of the way. He'll resist you. He'll say, don't do it. Look at all the other stuff you haven't got done and you don't know how to do it. And somebody might ask you a question you don't know what to do. And you can't drive at night. And you can't do this and you can't do that. And the devil, the devil feeds you that kind of bill. You know why he does that? To keep you out of the will of God. Because it is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the big business God has given us to do. Now I want to give you something else. Suffering. Suffering is part of the will of God. If you look in your Bible at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 14, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On your part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a body, busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And look down at verse 19. Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Have you ever known anybody that really made a mark on our world that didn't suffer? I don't know how much you've read about Abraham Lincoln. We observe his birthday this month. He's one of my heroes. One of the last things Abraham Lincoln did was to forgive or pardon a Confederate soldier and a Union soldier both of them. The Union soldier went to sleep at his post and should have been court-martialed and he was under the condemnation of death and the Confederate soldier got through and was captured and that meant death. Both of their mothers appealed to Mr. Lincoln and had a compassion in his heart. He rode out before he went to Ford Theater that day. They're pardoned. He gave their names, and he signed it A. Lincoln. But here's something that a lot of folks don't know. Abraham Lincoln was concerned about the spiritual welfare of the troops. And there's a record in his biography of going out to the front lines. That was before they had all the Secret Service and the, all these uh, media that stuck a microphone in your face every time you turned around. And he went out to the front line. 
one of the most moving scenes in the life of Abraham Lincoln is when he got down with the troops and talked to them. You may die on the battlefield tomorrow, son. Do you have a home in heaven? Amen. That was his business. There's going to be some suffering in life. Abraham Lincoln suffered with his... He was assassinated. David Livingston buried himself in Africa. He went over there and just stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed. And After Stanley found him, they wanted him to come back, but he went back and he buried his life in there. And they say that when they found him, he was down on his knees praying for the salvation of lost souls in Africa. Amen. And he left in his will, please take my heart and bury it in Africa, because that's where my heart is. You can take my body back to England, but leave my heart in Africa. Amen. Suffering is going to be part of the will of God for your life. None of us should say when suffering comes, well, I must be out of the will of God. God wouldn't allow this to happen. Yes, suffering is going to happen in your life. Sometimes it's home problems. What? You mean home problems in a, in a Christian's life? That could be, yes, if you put Jesus first, everybody isn't going to like it. And of course, the time to think about that is before you get married. Marry somebody that loves the Lord more than you do and loves Jesus more than you do, and they won't ever grumble about it. You have a grumbling wife or a grumbling husband about the work of God you're doing. I don't ever suggest divorce. I don't believe anybody ought to divorce. But I think you need to mark it down. The reason for this is because I didn't think it through before I got married. That's not the time to take out on God and say, well, I'm just not going to serve God anymore because my wife doesn't want me to or my husband doesn't want me to. You go on serving God, but there may be some stuff, suffering to it. And some of you are getting mad at what I preach tonight. It's all right. I love you anyway. Just go on suffering. Some of you are going to get cancer. You mean a Christian, a committed Christian could get cancer? Yes, sir, you could. And there may be some suffering to it. And you can't turn your back on God and quit on God and shake your fist in his God's face and say, well, God, I didn't bargain for this. Yes, you did. When you yielded to the will of God, you yielded to some suffering too. Right. You want to be in the will of God, there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some mental anguish. There's going to be some people who won't like you. There'll be some people, you know, I've heard people say, well, everybody thinks he's a jolly good fellow. I don't think much of him. I appreciate what Dr. Lee said. Dr. Lee said, when I die, and they put my casket down front of the fellow that's up there preaching my funeral, gets up and says, well, there lies dear old Dr. Lee. He didn't have an enemy in the world. He said, I'm going to ask God for the strength to kick that casket lid off and get up and say, that's a lie, that's a lie. He had a lot of enemies. <laughs> have you got some enemies because you've served God? You put Christ first? You're in the will of God? Flora Dodson stood right here. She sat in one of the serving the Lord. Her mother was in a nursing home in Louisville. She was blind and old. Some of Flora's friends came and said, Now, Flora, if you really love God and you love your mother, you won't leave your mother in that nursing home. 
You'll just resign from the foreign mission board and come home and take care of your mother. And you know Flora wanted to do that. Who wouldn't? She wanted to do that. She begged God to let her do that. God said, no. But go talk to your mother. Before she went back to China, she went to her mother and said, Now, Mother, I know you're in a nursing home, and I don't know whether I'll see you again. God wants me in China. But, Mother, if you want me here, tell me. She had a godly mother. Her mother said, Flora, if God wants you in China, you'd be out of the will of God in Louisville. You go on to China. Man. While she was gone, Flora's mother went home. There's a dear lady in our room, in our church building tonight, that went to her funeral. And I thought at the time, how precious, what a reunion they're having over in the glory. Flora Dodson, who served God and kept true to her covenant, had a reunion with Mother later. There's going to be some suffering. Can you take it? Some of you are going to be scared cats, and you're going to run, and you're going to say, No, I don't want to do the will of God. I, I want a life of ease, and I want pleasure, and I want this, and I want that. If you want the will of God, there's going to have to be some suffering in your life. Man. Are you willing to take it? Are you willing to pay the price? Let me go on. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible tells us that if you're going to do the will of God, there has to be some sanctification in your life. Some sanctification. I want you to look at this. Open your Bible so you'll know that it's really from the Bible that I'm preaching tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. The word sanctification means set apart for God's use. It means His property. And if you're going to walk in the will of God, you have to recognize that you are not your own. You're bought with a price. You're, you're bought with the precious blood of Christ. And God's will is your sanctification. Then he goes on and explains what he's talking about. Look at that. He says, first of all, abstain from fornication. You walk in the will of God, get rid of the fleshly lust of fornication. I know I'm talking to the cream of the crop. I know I'm talking to godly people. But I want to tell you, the devil works on godly people. Man. Don't you ever think you've reached the safety zone and you're beyond that? All the hours of your day, all the hours of your night, every time you go out, you who have reached a certain age in your maturity, there's that, there's that satanic desire and temptation to go further than God said you could go. And it's not only the lives of single people, the lives of married people. We're living in an age of free sex. Do whatever you want to do. A tragic thing happened recently in a college dormitory. Where some girl was just took an overdose. Just a little while before she died, her boyfriend was in the room and she had sex with him. Not married. Now God says if you're going to be sanctified, if you're going to want to be in the will of God, you 
sanctify yourself. That is, set yourself apart. There's a holy part about your life that God planned for marriage and not any other time. And then he goes on to say, in verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. You want to walk in the will of God. That's what God's plan for you is. Look in verse 5. Not in the lust of sensuality, even as the Gentiles who know not God. Verse 6. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned and testified. Verse 7. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath, not, who hath given unto us his Holy Spirit. Verse 9. As touching brotherly love, love one another. Love each other. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Reach out in love. We have a time of backbiting and hatred and variance and emulation and pride and people not liking somebody else and so on. We need to get rid of that. Amen. And love one another. That's part of walking in God's will. The sanctification of your love life. And I'm not talking about sex at that point. We've already talked about that. I'm talking about the heart of your life reaching out in response and love and Christian fellowship with others. That's God's plan. And then he goes on to say something else. He says uh, that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands. That you may walk honestly toward them that are outside and that they, that ye may lack nothing. Well, he told us how important it is to work. <laughs> you say, preacher, you're never going to get through tonight. Well, I'll try after a while. But now listen. God wants you to work. Man. If you don't work, you don't eat. There's, there's nothing dishonorable about work. There's a lot, about, a lot of dishonorable things about not working. Amen. There is no job that is not immoral that is not honorable. Amen. I don't believe God wants you to work in a whiskey place. Amen. I don't believe God wants you to work in all these adult bookstores. Or in these X-rated movies. I read about a girl the other day that went to Hollywood. She was a Christian. And she had to be in this scene. She wanted to be a movie actress. And she had to be at this scene where she appeared nude. And she said, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And they talked with her and talked with her. And the man she was going to appear with uh, went out and had a date with her and, and uh, embraced her and did everything he could to help her feel at ease. And finally, they broke her all down and she did it. That's not God's will. But there's nothing wrong with digging ditches. There's nothing wrong with sweeping floors. There's nothing wrong with working in a business store. There's nothing wrong with carrying your end of the weight. There's nothing wrong with working. God's plan. If you're going to be in the will of God, don't be lazy. I don't believe God has any place in his economy for lazy people. God wants us to work. And I think we ought to work fast. If I was going to take this microphone out, I could go like this. Hey, David, I can't get that out. Would you come and help me? Or I could go like that. Get it? I don't believe we ought to be slow pokes about anything, even driving. 
Now the last thing, in the will of God. In the will of God. Look at the last part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You want the will of God. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. You need to know something about the second coming. And you need to be planning for it, looking for it, scanning the skies, living a godly, holy life, expecting any moment. I thought Jesus would come today. I really expected him last week. Pretty sure he'll come this week. I don't know of anything that keeps you more in line with the will of God than the idea that Jesus is coming. Amen. He's coming any moment, any day, any hour. And, and, and the Holy Spirit here says, I would not have you to be uninformed, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. When you go to a funeral of some saved person, you don't need to just weep hysterically. I appreciate what some of our people have done. I appreciate what Ms. Paisley did about her brother. Her brother died on Saturday. She stayed here Saturday and Sunday to be in all the services. She went over there Monday. Tuesday was the memorial service. There were some tears. She came back because she thought we were having a meeting Tuesday night. She was back in church on Wednesday night. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to do that. But I'm saying we need to know something about the will of God in the future. When someone dies, listen, they're not in that grave. They're not in that casket. They're not there anymore. That house is precious to us. and There's something about it. We want to linger by that casket. And I'm like that. I even go to the graveyard where my daddy's buried and sometimes kneel beside that grave all by myself. I know he's not there. The moment you die, if a Christian, you go immediately to be with the Lord. And when Jesus comes back, you know what he's going to do? Those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That means they're already there. And he's going to raise the dead body and that will be a new body and they'll be joined together. Amen. And he'll have a new body for all eternity. Amen. And that's what we look forward to. Man alive, we need to shout and whoopee. God has arranged a plan where those of you in this room who have lost the dearest loved one on earth... Don't sit down and be lonely and feel like, well, I'm just going to feel bad all the rest of my life. I know you're going to be a time of feeling bad. Of course there is. But look forward. Amen. Lift up your eyes. There's coming a glorious day when there will be a resurrection and a reunion. Amen. In the will of God. Now you can't beat that. If I had longer to preach, I'd talk longer. I'm through. But let me say before I close, do you want to be in the will of God or not? You want to walk in the will of God? God has a wonderful blueprint for your life. A wonderful plan. And the big plan goes from here straight on. Now not everybody understands you. And they'll pull at you and tug at you and try to get you down here in a compromise. And, and we have such a precious Savior that He reaches down with you when you get to that point and he helps you pick up the broken pieces and get going again. And some people in this room tonight to whom I'm speaking are in God's permissive will, but praise God for a permissive will. Thank God that He doesn't shake His dust from our feet, from His feet and our, His hands when we get out of the will of God. 
He woos us. He weeps over us. He sends somebody to us. He arranges circumstances to try to draw us back. And when we get back, he says, come on, let's go. I got some more work for you to do. Amen. You know, Elijah was a wonderful person. He was, he was afraid. Jezebel scared him to death. And he ran for all of his life down to, Jezre down to uh, the juniper tree, down to Horeb. And, and while he was down there, God came along and said, you old fool, you old idiot, what are you doing running away from God? He didn't do that. God said, uh, Brother Elijah, you need a nap. Get some sleep. And Elijah went to sleep. He woke up and God fed him with some ravens. Amen. And then God said, Elijah, take another nap. You see how tender our precious Lord is? He's not a mean taskmaster. He's a precious, loving Savior who wants to lift us and get us close to His will. And Elijah took another nap, and then he got up and ate again. And then God said, Elijah, i got some more work for you to do. And I want to talk to you. Came a great storm out there, and Elijah said, well, I guess God wants to talk to me in the storm. He went out there, and he didn't hear God. And there was a great fire and he went out there and he said, well, I guess God wants to talk to me in the big things, great big, big things, the lightnings and fires. And God wasn't in that. Finally, Elijah just went over here and got by himself. And the Lord began to speak in a still, small voice inside. And that's what God does Amen. if you let him. Is there somebody here tonight who would say, I want to walk in the will of God? I want to be where he wants me to be. God will look on and he'll know what your heart desire is. He may not reveal the whole thing at once. He may just say, present yourself. One of the most remarkable passages of Scripture in the Bible is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body. A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the ruling of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God for your life. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, you've been so good tonight. Thank you for this precious people who have listened attentively. We pray that somebody in this room has heard from God tonight and will begin to walk in the will of God. God bless our precious people and give us a hankering and a desire to walk in God's will. We pray that some man, woman, boy or girl tonight would hear the spirit of Jesus and would say, here am I, Lord. I may not know all you want me to do, but I want to present myself. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. May we stand, please. Everyone standing. Let's sing, I can hear my Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. Where he leads me, I will follow. What page is that, Brother Jim? We'll have it in a minute. 384. Turn there. Really, you don't need the book. You've sung it all your lives. But listen carefully. Is there anybody here who has heard more than the words of the preacher? These feebling lips get in the way sometimes. Sometimes they may even say things that are offensive and the devil could get you crossed up about that. But I want to know, have you heard beyond the words of the preacher? Have you heard from God tonight? Did God say something to you? If so, 
Is there somebody who'd be willing to say, I want to present myself to the Lord to do His will? I don't know what it is. I'm not even sure what it is. But I want to be in His will. You're not coming because I'm giving a general invitation, but because God spoke to you. Is there somebody that ought to come saying that? Is there somebody here tonight who would say, I'm not saved. I need Jesus as my Savior. I want to come and give my heart to Him. Is there somebody here tonight who ought to come and say, I want to put my life on the line for God, or I want to be under the watch care of this church, or I want to move my letter here, or I want to follow Jesus in baptism. Whatever God says, will you do it while we begin to sing? Will you come quickly tonight? I'll meet you here.